Hello and welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. My name's Darren and I'm here with Faith. Hi. Pastor Faith. And we will get to the sermon in just a little bit, but we wanted to make some time and space to talk about something special that we've been having on Sundays. And it's a new song that Pastor Faith, you and your husband, Josh, wrote, and we've shared it with our community. Tell us a little bit about it. What's the name of it? Yeah. And where did it come from? Yeah, so it's called We Need You. Um, and I, I'm going to root this in 1 Corinthians 2 when Paul says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Um, the, the first thing that was written for this song was the beginning of that bridge section that says, We don't need better plans. We don't need clever thoughts. We need your Spirit, O oh God. We don't want the wisdom of man. We want we want a display of God's power, which is really what the world needs. They don't need to see a show, or even in the area of worship, they don't need to hear good music. We need to see a display of the power of God. So it came from that heart cry. And then the beginning of the song kind of sets up this space where we invite Holy Spirit, we open our hearts, we clear out all the distractions, the things that get in the way. And then just simply cry out for more of Him. And it's this this longing to be a, a space where the Spirit would rest mm-hmm. as a community. Yeah, I love that. That's such a the heart and core value of Garden Church. Exactly. Knowing that the Spirit is present, like He's welcome to the party and we get to celebrate. And I so appreciate the beauty and creativity that you've been cultivating, not only with worship, but just something that we can invite the rest of our community into. And, and it's so cool when, when uh, in the recording of this song, it's the first time that we shared it. And it's like people have been singing it for weeks. <laughs> and it was just such a cool thing to experience. And so we're so happy for those of you that have experienced that with us on a Sunday morning. And we want to see just more original songs being birthed from this place. Um, that you're talking about, just being saturated in the Holy Spirit. So we are welcoming you to stick around after the sermon where you can hear a live recording of the song, We Need You, and I hope it blesses your heart. Welcome to the Gardens Podcast. This message titled Worship in Church was given by Bill Dogtrum and is the second in our series, Worship. In this month, we've been talking about or will be talking about worship. And last week, Darren kind of laid the foundation for whole life worship, worship that is not just what happens in the 15 or 20 or 30 or 40 minutes on a Sunday morning, but worship that that flows out of a response to what God has been doing. And so that's kind of what I'm going to build on uh, today. Um, and, and the definition of worship, again, is that it is the ascription of worth, the attributing of worth, the valuing of what is valuable. Uh, a few years ago, actually it's a couple decades ago now, uh, a, a fairly famous uh, rock group was touring from England was touring France, and as part of their their experience, uh, went into the museum, the Louvre, in which was hung the Mona Lisa, one of perhaps the most famous pieces of artwork in 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 humankind. And so they stood in front of that, and the the um, uh, interviewers immediately upon their exit asked uh, Sid Vicious uh, what he thought of the Mona Lisa, 
and his comment was an expletive-laden, derogatory remark about uh, uh, art that's older than 10 years. And I thought about that years ago when I read that, and it has stuck with me ever since. Um, what his comment was had nothing to do with the Mona Lisa or the power of that art. It had everything to do with the kind of person at that time that he was. If you don't ascribe worth to things that are worthy, it doesn't take worth away from those things. It, rec it says simply that you are not the kind of person who is in alignment with the worth of those things. Does that make sense? So when we worship God, what are we saying? We are saying that we recognize that He who is most valuable, we recognize His worth. He doesn't get worth from our recognition of it. God is not improved by our worship. But you are. Do you see? I'm probably going to yell a little bit, so turn me down. Just to, I can't talk about worship without getting excited. So, 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 and, and it's been three weeks since I've been here, and I'm really excited to be back at the garden um, and, and uh, to share with you today. But, but that, do you see, where, see what we're after there? So, so when we align ourselves with something that is worthy of worship, we are drawn to that with which, to that which we worship. But if we align our attention and ascribe worth to things that are not in themselves worthy, guess where our hearts are drawn? They are drawn to those things as well. This is why God says no graven images. This is why He says choose carefully where you set the affections of your heart because you tend towards becoming like that which you worship. You tend to order the inner life based on affections of the heart. How many of you know that's true? It, 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 as you set yourself on something. I mean, we can do it as, as, as tiny a thing as a, as a, as a car. You know, you and, your, you, and, you and your research have come to the conclusion that this is the car that I want. If you were to ask me what that car is right now, it's a Mazda 3. I want one. Right? Now, here's what happens. Whenever I'm driving on the freeway, what do I see? I see them, and everyone that I see says to me, yes. <laughs> right? Anybody else like that? How many of you done that with an LCD 52-inch flat-screen TV? It just calls. It just calls. Right? And we, we do this to all, we, 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 do, it, we do, do it all kinds, kinds of, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say how excited I am that Verizon is coming out with an iPhone. I'm just, that's, it's, just, it's just unseemly for me to be that excited about something, but I am. So, 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 so um, you with me? Here's the deal. What captures the attention of your heart? Have you been gripped by the power of a great affection for someone who is worthy of that affection? Because when you are, when you are, the trajectory of your lifestyle 
will be drawn inexorably towards that upon which you set the affections of your heart. Yeah? Does that make sense? Your conversations will be littered with allusions to the wonder of that upon which you have set your heart. Your 24-7 life will not consciously, but will in every way unconsciously be defined by that upon which you set your affection. Does that make sense? Over this Christmas break, I had the privilege of meeting my, one of my son's new girlfriends. And, and he kind of sneaks stuff in on this, right? But I could tell for about six months that one particular name kept surfacing in his conversations. Over, you know, we go out for lunch or coffee, or I'd talk to him on the phone and so on. What are you doing? Well, we're going so and so and doing that and the other thing. Now, why does that happen? Because his heart is being turned to a person. Her name, therefore, is going to keep surfacing in his conversation. Consciously? No. Just because of the way as a person thinks in his heart, so is he in his life. Does that make sense? So here's what, what one, as we ascribe worth to God, setting our hearts on him, Christian worship is then the focus on the character and nature and actions of God, ascribing them worthy and celebrating them. So in the Old Testament, uh, the character of God is primarily revealed in two primary ways. One is creation and the other is redemption. You see this uh, regularly, these two twin themes repeated over and over again. If you remember in our conversation uh, uh, a few months ago about the ten words uh, on Sabbath in Deuteronomy and in Exodus, there are two different rationale for the Sabbath observance. One of them is you're redeemed. The other of them is God is creator. So those twin themes are supposed to circulate back and forth in our consciousness throughout the course of our, our existence. The entire sacrificial system of Israel, unpacked for us in the book of Leviticus, uh, is a celebration of creation and redemption. It's a way of coming back on that. It's a way of ascribing worth to one who is worthy. How many of you know that it's possible to take a picture of the beauty of nature and get lost in the beauty of nature, right? And not realize that nature itself, in all its power, in all its wonder, in all its beauty, is a signpost to what lies behind it. It's like a person who driving on the, on, on, on the freeway in, in Arizona takes a picture of the sign that says Grand Canyon, but never goes and sees the ditch. Right? We, 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 we get our hearts lost in the wonder of the crashing waves at Laguna. You go down thousand steps and you just luxuriate in just overwhelming. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Look back at me and smile something. Help me out here. Right? You just luxuriate in that. Or you go out to Joshua Tree, you lie yourself flat on, the back, on your back and you just look up and you lose count after 12 billion of the stars, right? Have you ever been to a, 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 a beach that is, is the, the, the incoming waves are just so gentle in the middle of the night that you can see stars above but also stars below reflected in the wonder 
It's just, it's just stunning, and it's possible for us to get lost in that. God is aware of that. That's why he says, no, don't get lost in the wonder. Let the wonder push you beyond itself. So here's where, where I want to focus today. Um, I want to focus on, D- Darren talked a little bit last time about this individual worship, the celebration, the offering up, the giving of our whole life in response to what God has done. And that's 167 hours a week that we are called to do that. But then on a Sunday morning, perhaps, or on a Wednesday night, third Wednesdays, or at another time, we gather together as a community. A community of the people of God. A community that is called the church. The assembly of the people of God. And then we take those 167 hours of worship and focus them in a communal way so that my worship is enhanced by yours, so that my song joins with your song, so that the, the, the song that I've been singing throughout the course of this week, the response of my life to God, and you know I'm using song now figuratively, right? Because we're not, we're not literally singing all the time. Some of us are. But, but, but the song of my life, the poem of my life, the art, the sculpture, the, 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 the one-act play that is my life, I bring that here on a Sunday morning and join with your play, join with your drama. And we have a leader who, who asks us to submit all of that music into a choir. And we offer together our corporate worship to God. That's why sometimes we're going to ask you to sing songs that you don't know. Or maybe don't even like. Because it's not your song. Do you, do you hear me? So we submit ourselves in a community. Why? Because the Father, who is worthy of our worship, has indicated that He likes it when we, His children, sing songs. He doesn't like it if we fight over which are His favorite songs. Right? Uh, but because but there aren't, aren't many songs that he doesn't like. Hip hop he's not too excited about. But no, it's not true. Not true. Not true. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Okay. I was just waiting to see. But do you understand what happens here? So that we have this individual worship going on throughout the course of the week, and then we come together in corporate worship. Now, notice how they fuel one another. You bring what is in you on a Sunday morning and receive in community and then take that back out that then fuels your service and your offering and your response to God's mercies throughout the course of the week because God has been merciful to us, hasn't He? God has been good to us. God is good. So the psalm, I'd like you to focus with me uh, in in a psalm here to set the frame for this. And then in a few minutes, Jamie and I are just going to talk a little bit about just some very practical things about what we want to see happening here on a, on a Sunday morning and, and, and how to, how to uh, maybe even step out a little bit in your worship. Psalm 100 is the passage that I'm asking you to look at. I'm working this morning I'm, uh, uh, from the New American Standard. The, uh, the um, screen is going to have a slightly different version, but you'll get the idea. Psalm 100 says this, Shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord Himself is God. 
It is He who has made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people. We are the sheep of His pasture. So enter His gates with thanksgiving, and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name, for the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting, and His faithfulness endures to all generations. So as we gather together, I, just, I, I want you to focus just on that first two verses to begin with. The first one says, serve the Lord with gladness, or shout joyfully, excuse me, shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. So again, who is supposed to worship? All the earth. This is not just talking about people. This is talking about so-called inanimate objects that apparently have a voice all their own that our hearts are not yet attuned to. Can you imagine what it will be like when all of creation is finally redeemed and we get to hear the song that is being sung under our feet by the very rocks which will cry out in the worship of Almighty God? Isn't that amazing? So all of the earth shouts, and how? Joyfully. Joyfully. There is, remember we talked about this a couple of weeks ago with joy as one of the themes of our Advent series. That is that joy is that, that, that sense at the center that, that God is at work, that God is on the move, that all will be well. So coming out of the pain perhaps or the difficulties or whatever, joy can still be part of our worship. Joy can still be part of our praise. Then he goes on and says two different phrases. And while these are parallel, they are advancing parallels. He says, first of all, serve the Lord with gladness. Some of the translations will have worship in there. More technically accurate should be the word serve. Serve the Lord with gladness, then come before Him with joyful singing. And the reason I make that distinction is because I think that the serve the Lord with gladness refers to the 167 hours. Come before the Lord with singing refers to the one hour. Serve the Lord with gladness refers to how you act tomorrow morning when you clock in, when you stand in front of your classroom of preschoolers, when you sit at your cubicle and turn on your, your monitor, when, when, you, when you sit in a classroom to start to take notes. Whatever it is that you're going to be doing the six days a week that we're not here gathered for worship, right? That's where we serve the Lord with gladness. That's where uh, when you stand in front of a customer who's complaining and difficult, you can serve the Lord with gladness. Do, do, do you see what I mean? In fact, uh, if, if the, in, in, I will argue if you don't serve the Lord with gladness, you won't probably have a song to sing when you come before Him. Right? And what will happen is that when we gather together, we won't be gathered together as a worshiping community because we are not trained to be worshipers yet. We'll count on the song leader, notice the distinction I'm making, the song leader to get us in the mood for worship, rather than coming as worshipers. Because the truth is, I've, I've led worship for about 25 years in various contexts. If I have a congregation of worshipers, leading them is real easy. All you have to do is say, go. With me? But if I don't have a congregation of worshipers, all we're doing is singing. There's a difference. 
And I'm going to invite you to prepare for what happens on Sunday mornings here or on Wednesday nights or when you gather together in your community groups by how you serve the Lord with gladness throughout the course of the rest of the week. That's what we were talking about last week. Then he come, come before the Lord with joyful singing. Why? Verse 3, because the Lord, the one who has revealed himself to us, is God. Our hearts are tuned in appropriate alignment to reality. So we worship because He is God. Please notice, what has He done so far in these three verses? Nothing. He just exists. And that all by itself is grounds for worship forever. You, you with me? So... He is God, and so we align our hearts with the truth of who He is. Then, verse um, 3 goes on in the second part and says, He is the one who has made us, not we ourselves. Stephen Hawking and others to the contrary, we didn't get here without help. We did not spontaneously emerge in the cosmic soup of positive and negative gravity. We did not... We are not just a wrinkle in time. We have a personality because we were created by a person. We are not simply one of an infinite series of options, this one particularly a lively piece of dirt. We are His people. He created us. We didn't create ourselves. We came into a scenario, into a play, into a drama that was already ongoing. It is our task as we walk on stage to find out what the action is so we can participate in it by being who He has created us to be. Is it, are you are you're making sense with, with what we're saying here? So He has made us. We are, are, are His people. We are the sheep of His pasture using that beautiful imagery that David himself would have had such great influence over. That is the idea of a shepherd's care for his sheep. A shepherd would regularly, when a lamb was born, pick up that lamb and carry it around his shoulders for uh, a week or two, whispering, constantly speaking, uh, not just to the lamb, but in, in terms of other conversations, so that over the course of that two or three weeks, that lamb was imprinted with the shepherd's voice. So that throughout the course of that lamb's life, as it grew to be a sheep, he would consistently recognize the voice of his shepherd. So that when there were numerous flocks gathered together in one fold overnight, Shepherds could stand at various points on the compass, as it were, and call to their sheep, and they would sort themselves out based on their recognition of their shepherd's voice. You're, you're catching, I hope some analogies are starting to click in here, right? So he says, that's who we are to him. He has picked us up. He has spoken his name over us. He has danced with us with joy. We are His people, yes, but we are also the sheep of His pasture. He has a song with your name on it. Those of you who are parents might recognize this. Where you will just, if you're anything like me, 
in this particular regard anyway, maybe when you held your newborn child, or maybe as a, as a child you remember your parents talking to you about this, but I found myself just making up songs with my son's names in them when they were infants. Right? You, you know what I mean? And you're, and you're just, it's silly, 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 silly. And then the worst thing of all is when that five-year-old boy says to you, Daddy, sing my song again. Well, what song was that? You know, because you're just making it up. Right? The only commonality in there is uh, his name, in, in, in the case of our boys, his name, and, and, and some silly nonsense with a whole bunch of, I love this boy. Right? So I would do it all over again with my five-year-old who quickly got bigger than I could carry around, but he still held me by the hand and dragged me all over the mall, sing my song, sing my song. Yeah? Can you imagine God with a song with your name and love in it? He dances over you with joy. We are the sheep of his pasture. So this is not just this, this monolithic, um, unmovable first cause in the universe. This is a God who has revealed himself to us as personal. We are his people. We are the sheep of his pasture. He has a heart-to-heart -heart connection with us. But that's why, he says, when we enter his gates, we're to do so with thanksgiving. If you want to train yourself in larger spheres of worship, how many of you are aware that we're going to be learning worship for the next 10 or 15,000 years? Right? Because what we do now is kindergarten. You know, I, lo I love some of the language that Phil Wickham uses in his music. Canons in this. You, you just have this, 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 this resonance that, that sets the universe vibrating when, when, when the people of God uh, gather together. To, but we're just beginning. We're just beginners in this. Right? The, the, and, and so as we enter in, if you want to learn how to expand your vocabulary of praise, expand your vocabulary of worship, the first place to begin is with thanksgiving. For what? For who he is. For what he has done. Creation, redemption. Right? So if you can think of nothing else, this is why the Apostle Paul is just so appalled. Uh, Paul is appalled to anyone. It just occurred to me that those two things should not go together at the same sentence. But anyway, um, in, in Romans chapter 1, where he talks about how human beings have substituted the worship of Almighty God for the creation, who then f are allowed to follow the inclinations of their own heart. Even though they know God as God, he says, they refuse to give thanks. Can I just suggest to you that one of the revolutionary things that the garden might be able to do in the city of Long Beach is introduce a culture of thanksgiving. Not just to God for the wonders that he is, but for the wait person, the wait staff at the restaurant, and the retail clerk, and the, and the cop on the beat, and the women who hose down the sidewalks on Sunday mornings. Can we be a culture of gratitude that is also part of coming together with thanksgiving. Do you see? Not just to God, but to the people. I mean, imagine what it is like for us to be gathered together on this day and what that means. 
We enter his courts then with praise. We give thanks to him and bless his name. Why? Verse 5, because he's good. The Lord is good. This is a theological declaration. This is a theological statement. He has chosen to act towards us in goodness. Isaiah chapter 45 makes it clear that God has both good and evil in his hands. There is no duality in the Old Testament, nor therefore in the New. There is no, no um, kind of touch and go over who's going to win the battle of the universe. God has got everything in his hand. So he could act towards us in a way other than good. Aren't you glad he has chosen to set his heart on us for good? Uh, Romans chapter 8 makes it clear that he is at work in all things for good. So give thanks. It doesn't have to be that way. But because of who he is, it is that way. Then it says his loving kindness is everlasting. This is a word that is resonate, resonates with the people of Israel. It's part of his covenant character. His, his, he is is everlasting in His uh, loving kindness, and then His faithfulness endures to all generations. Now I'm starting to cut out, right? Darren, is this starting to disappear? It is. No? You're lying to me now, aren't you? Yes. <laughs> so everybody stay away. Lightning. Okay. But do you, do you see where we're at here? So if God does nothing for you for the rest of your life, you already have enough firewood in the bin to ignite a flame of love and worship to last throughout eternity. If he has done nothing else but create and redeem, you've got a song to sing. But he is good. His loving kindness. and You don't have to talk God or persuade him into being good. He is gracious. It is, it is, it, I, I was talking to somebody this past week, and Jamie, we'll talk here in a second. Um, I was talking to somebody this past week, and, and, and we were just working through some of the things that have happened to her over the last three or four weeks. And, and, and things just all, you ever have that sense where things have just kind of lined up and good things have been happening. And so we sat in Starbucks and, 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 I, and I, what, I was getting this vibe of, 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 of tension and anxiety. What, what, are you, what, what are you feeling? She says, I just know something bad is going to happen. Well, Why? Oh, because that's the way God is. He sets you up. Anybody else recognize that? You're afraid to really resonate with the good things that happen because you get set up for the disaster that is, that is coming. This psalm says to us, no, that's, not, that's bad theology. That's bad theology. That's not how He is. That's not who He is. In fact, he is of such a wonderful kind that even those things that we understand and are understood by everybody else to be bad, he can redeem. He can do things with that stuff that we have no other capacity for. We can't redeem our own life situation, can we? I can't. But if we offer it up to him, what does he do with it? He makes wonder out of it. So when we gather together as a community of God's people, uh, I'm going to invite you to create some space, to give thanks, to create some space on a very practical level, 
to enter his courts with thanksgiving. Sing your own song 167 days of the week. Then when we gather, or 67 hours in the week. But then when we gather together, let's join our voices. I love the song that Jamie wrote that he led us in this morning. I don't know if uh, that's become part of our regular routine here, but it's just such a powerful invitation to the character and nature of God. So, Jamie, let's uh, talk for a couple of minutes, if you don't mind. Um, Jamie is, is uh, kind of coordinating most of our, our worship teams. And, and so I thought uh, it would be just fun for us to take a few minutes. You're going to choose one that works, huh? Yeah. All right, and just uh, talk, uh, where do you want to go? Um, about uh, just some of the practical things here. Um, and, and particularly, can you talk to us about what it is that you're trying to do and I know that you probably can't fully speak for the other worship leaders, but just as a general sense, what are you trying to do when you're leading us here on Sunday morning? Yeah, well, it goes back to what you are just saying. When on Sunday mornings, it's about us together, and something special happens when it's the whole congregation together worshiping and offering a song. And so we do a lot of our worship on the back half of the message because we want to not just walk out and go about the rest of our day after hearing whatever you're speaking on, whatever Darren's speaking on, but we want to come together and respond to that. So sometimes we leave space open at the, in the back or in the section over here for people to pray with one another or to, to sing their own song. We create a lot of um, instrumental time for people to sing their own song out. So we want to just create space, like you were saying, for people to, so all of us can come together. And a, lot of, a lot of us have been trained in a culture that when the leader sings, we can sing. But when he or she is not singing, like in the space between songs or in the instrumental bridge, that we're kind of watching them yeah. and waiting for them to sing so we can start to worship again. Wow. What should we be doing in that yeah, space? I like what you said earlier. Just We want to create a culture of worshipers so when we come on Sunday mornings, whoever's up here just says, go, and we go for it. So it's, we're kind of the backdrop. We're kind of like an assistant, but we are, everyone's the leading each other in worship. So that space, whether, whether somebody's doing a t guitar solo or, or there's a, a, a bridge, an outro, an intro in, uh, from and to a song, what, what should we be doing while we're waiting to sing again? Yeah, well, obviously we don't just speak lyrics. We, we believe in the power of music, and so even music itself can be offered as an act of worship. Sometimes uh, we may not have the right words to say, but the music itself can almost be a language for us to, mm. to articulate our emotions. And so during those times when you're playing instrumental music or you're singing your own song, maybe it doesn't have any articulate words, but you're just singing out because that's an expression of where you are in your heart. Okay. So, so if we can, in those seasons, worship becomes a spiritual discipline for us. Does that make sense? We set our hearts. We're not just trained to, okay, when they're singing, then I worship. It's that worship is what happens all of the time, and I can set my heart on the glory of God so that when the song lyric begins again, I'm already moving in that direction. D does that make sense? Um, and, and we're invited into that. Um, what is it for you that governs how you choose songs? Yes, yeah, so... We, we plan our messages way in advance. We want to have a direction for where our church is going. But whoever's leading worship will connect with you or with Darren, whoever's speaking, and kind of get an idea of where the theme for that morning is going. And so we pick songs based around theme. It could be the cross or sacrifice or obedience or various other things. 
So we kind of, we, we connect throughout the week. We don't just arbitrarily choose songs the night before. Like, we, we're very intentional about what we choose. And, uh, yeah, we okay. go from there. So what do you hope will happen? How can, uh, when we worship, and secondly, how can we as a community support you in leading us on a Sunday morning? Yeah, well, I think the main uh, idea is that it's not, the focus isn't up here. We, we, we set up a stage like this so we can see, the people who are leading worship here can see what's going on as a church, but the main audience is God, obviously, so if we can come with that mentality that you don't need the music to, to get you going, it's like we come with a song to sing and we just go, and this is like almost a backdrop, an assistant to what we're actually doing, the audience mm-hmm. of God. Kind of like cheerleaders almost. Does that make sense? Because you guys, you guys are the team, right? You're the choir. The, 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 the guy who's waving his arms or the, the woman who's, who's doing the direction, that's not the performer. You are. And, 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 and how do you, what do you say to people who don't, um, who don't sing? I mean, this is weird, Right? How many of you feel sometimes this is really strange? This is the only place in the course of the week that I open my mouth and don't talk, but sing. I, you know, I'm, I'm not even into karaoke. Yeah? What do you, how do, you, yeah, how well, do they worship? I think there's two different ways you can take that. One, one is that sometimes we just can't sing a song. Like we're in a place of brokenness, whatever, and that's okay. And we can come and not sing and have everyone else sing a song almost for us together. Carry us with that. Carry us with that. On the other hand... If we just don't feel like singing, part of it is, like you said, a discipline where we come together. It's not about your preferences. We, we want to fight against this culture of consumerism where we say, oh, it's like I like this song, I don't like that song. It's, we, we discipline ourselves to be part of the community and what's good for the church and right. we all sing together. Good, 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 good. Um, let me just finish up here uh, and then you guys are going to lead us here in a couple minutes uh, with, with a, a, maybe a way to start this. Can I invite you, as you think about getting together on a Sunday morning, to start maybe on Saturday night, to prepare to set your heart towards what's going to happen here? Because i got to be honest, you have nothing better to do in the course of a given week than celebrate the grace, glory, and wonder of God. Nothing better to do. So let's prepare our hearts for that reality on a Sunday morning. That means maybe it, it, it means getting, getting enough rest so that we come in here and, and, and we're ready to, to do that. It is a set of heart. Here's the other thing I want you to think about. Bring what is in you, not what you think ought to be in you. If your song t- this week is in a minor key, if you've had tragedy occur, if you're lamenting, bring that. Let that become part of the offering that we bring. You'll notice that there are 150 psalms. 85 of them have a negative spin. They're angry. They're complaining. They're lamenting. They're in pain. God clearly can handle your pain. So bring it. And let that be part of our offering to God. Joy and pain are not contradictory. In fact, I will argue that joy is what enables us to survive and redeem the pain. Yeah? So when we come together, consider the place of your body. I found myself sometimes when I am not feeling like worshiping, that I have to discipline my body. So I've noticed that raising my hand says one thing. 
And this is a different posture, isn't it? Than this is. Than this is. So think about the posture. Maybe you can find a place to kneel. Standing or sitting are different postures of worship. Consider the place of music and of silence, of art, of light, and the interplay, and the sacrament, and the community. Let worship reorient you for life. It's, if you can think of it in this way, it's like going and getting a chiropractic adjustment. Our life gets out of alignment. How many of you have noticed that? Sunday morning is a great way to get realigned with what's true, with what is honest, to setting our heart to rekindle the power of a great affection in our hearts again. So let's pray together, and then let's just spend some time in celebrating the wonder of God. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for um, men and women who prepare weekly to lead us in worship. I thank you for this congregation of your people, uh, many of whom are relatively new followers of you and are just learning into this, others of whom have been disciples of Jesus for a long time. And this is just a, kind of a reminder maybe to them of what's happening here when we gather together on a Sunday morning. Lord, we want to be a worshiping church, not just when we gather, but throughout the course of the week. We realize, however, that our worship during the week is supported and empowered by what we do here. So let us come with thanksgiving. Let us enter your courts with praise. Uh, you are good. Your loving kindness lasts forever. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You are the creator. We are your people. We are the sheep of your pasture. And so, O oh Lord, we give thanks to you as a place of entry and beginning. And we lift our hearts, hands, voices, lives, heart, soul, mind, and strength to glorify you in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. If you would like to hear other messages from The Garden, or if you would like to find out more about The Garden Church, check out our website at thegardenlb.org.
the fire. 